Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Joel Marion from BioTrust Nutrition. Went from zero to 100 million our first year. I also have a great podcast called Born to Impact. If you want to learn how to impact the people in your life, let me tell you, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the show. Today, I'm really, really excited for this one. It's been a long time coming. Me and this guy have been in communication now for a little while, for a few months at least. And we were just trying to work back and forth with scheduling and different things like that because I wanted to go out to his place in Tampa, Florida to actually get this one done in person. And let me tell you, it is one of the most amazing houses that I have ever personally been in. And um, it's all due to his business that we're going to talk in depth about in this interview. So today's guest is none other than Joel Marion. Joel is the co-founder and CMO of Biotrust Nutrition with more than $600 million in sales, three and a half million customers, and 17 million email subscribers since 2012, and the founder of Transformation Insider, which has grown to over 3 million email subscribers in the last 18 months. He's known throughout the direct response industry as one of the top email marketers in the world. Most notably, Joel's role as co-founder and chief marketing officer at Biotrust helped propel Biotrust to become one of the fastest growing companies in history, going from a small startup to over $100 million in revenue in their first full calendar year. And now more than 4 million healthy meals donated to feed malnourished hungry children right here in America. So Joel and I have a great conversation. We actually came off of doing his podcast right before we recorded for my podcast. So typically when we do those types of things, we've built such a rapport in a previous couple of hours. My interview on his show ended up being two hours long, which is a lot longer than we usually record for. So by the time we got to my interview with him, we had built some really good rapport with each other and gotten to know each other really, really well. So this conversation ended up going really well and it went longer than I typically do. So this is actually going to be separated into two parts. This part number one will be released today and then next Monday, look out for part number two. So there's so much stuff to go into in this interview with Joel. We talk about how he transitioned from his job to his business. He was literally a school teacher, just a, I believe a physical education school teacher. And he transitioned that into this business now that he's obviously crushing it. And we, we talk about how he connected with the top marketers in his space in order to be able to position himself to have these record-breaking years. And ultimately we talk about how he took his supplement company from $0 
dollars to one hundred million dollars in one calendar year. So um, man, so many different things that we're going to go into with Joel, and I can't wait to get into all of that with you. But first, as most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others, and this podcast is one of the ways that I try to do that. Since all of the content on the show is completely free. And this is episode number 300 on the show. So there's 299 other episodes listened to if you like this one. So when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways that I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review. This not only gives me feedback on what maybe I could be doing better or some of the things that you guys really enjoy about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, if you haven't done that, head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. And if you you want more free content from me, head over to 3networkingsecrets.com. That's 3networkingsecrets.com to watch my free masterclass on the three best kept secrets to building the network of your dreams. I promise you that you will not regret doing that. So now let's go ahead and get into my chat with Joel Marion. Joel, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today, brother. Pleasure. Pleasure to have you here at my home and uh, excited to share some experience, some of my own experience and some knowledge. Hopefully it'll be a huge value add to your listeners. Yeah, man. Well, if it's anything like the conversation that we just had for your show, then I think I think they'll be pretty pleased with it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it was a great conversation. I was very pleased with uh, with that conversation. That would be huge for my audience. So uh, grateful to be here and um, here to serve. Yes, sir. And we are. Thanks so much for having me in the home here. And for those of you listening, definitely go check out my YouTube channel for some videos of this weekend and stuff like that. Just out here in Tampa, enjoying the week with my wife and my son, and uh, then got to come over here to hang out with Joel at his amazing house here on the water in Tampa. So, man, so much stuff that I want to get into with you, Joel, but let's go back first, always build some context, and then talk about how you got into what you're doing right now. Because the reason I have this conversation is it amazes me with how much you've done in the affiliate marketing world and running a nutrition company, a supplement company, all those things. Those aren't things that typically like the average 15 year old is putting on their report for their guidance counselor. So talk to me about like day in the life for 14, 15 year old Joel. Yeah. So uh, much like your story, I grew up in a Christian household. Uh, my parent, we didn't have a lot of money. I went on one vacation as a, as a kid, literally one. <laughs> it was, I was nine years old. We went to Disney. The only time I'd ever been on an airplane until much later in my life. And um, the reason being is uh, my parents came from very modest, lower income families themselves. Neither went to college. My father was a school bus driver and my mom was a um, you know, what they call now administrative assistant, a secretary, and any money that they had really went into just providing for the necessities for the family and uh, paying for myself and my brother's uh, education in a private school. You know, I think it was maybe only four or $5,000 a year each, but that was all the extra money that they had. They put back into affording me the privilege to not be in the public school system and to uh, get a Christian education. So super grateful for that. Honestly, I look back and see how much that impacted me with the mentors that I had there and, and being able to get a, an education where I wasn't necessarily exposed to a lot of the same things that kids were getting exposed to in public school. And uh, some people look at that as negative, being sheltered. Like three of my best, best friends who we were all going away to Dominican for New Year's week this this upcoming year are still my best friends. All came from, from that environment and uh, still keep in touch with a number of my teachers from uh, high school. So I was a high school kid. I was athletic, played basketball. Basketball kind of, you see, we're sitting here in my man cave here. I got Miami Heat stuff all over the place. So basketball was really my life. Another thing we have in common. Yeah. I yeah. played all the time growing up. Yeah. Yeah. In, it, it, well, you know, the well. drill was wake up, let's say it's school year. You wake up, you go to school, you uh, go to practice or your game, whatever. And, and then you're getting home after dinner every night and it's all basketball after school. And then when it's not season, you, me and my best friend would go directly from school to the YMCA, we would work out, and then we play pickup basketball till 7, 8 p.m., and uh, come home, uh, eat dinner, do my homework, and then rinse and repeat every single day. Or in the summertime, uh, it would be uh, wake up, go to the local basketball court, and uh, just play basketball literally all day long, whether sometimes it'd just be me out there, sometimes at certain times of day uh, would be the busy times where we play pickup games, 
But apart from that, you know, I was just one of those guys that I just always had a basketball in my hand, loved sport and uh, wanted to be the best that I could be. But at the same time, I realized that uh, the best that I could be, even with all that work, was not going to land me a career in uh, professional basketball. So I decided to kind of hang up my shoes when I went to college. And I went, uh, my first year I spent at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Really quickly before we continue into that, I want to touch on this because my son was just born that we were talking about just a few weeks ago. And the importance of being competitive and being in sports and things like that, I I think are are values that I want to instill in him. I'm curious to know what kind of the lessons you learned from working that hard at something that young and getting into a team atmosphere and like learning how to make it work. Like what, what kind of lessons yeah. did playing basketball Oh, it was everything. Teaching? My kids will certainly be involved in sports and extracurricular activities. I've seen kids who aren't, they, they end up going down the wrong path more often than not. They just don't have anything to do and then they find the wrong things to do or the wrong people to hang out with. So for me, it was a great use of my time. It also was tremendous in building character in myself, building uh, self-discipline, understanding what it takes to master a skill and a craft, you know, and even at, even at my level, I, I started for a, uh, a high school team that was ranked in the state and we played a lot of the nationally ranked teams as well. I was short, believe it or not, on my team. I'm six foot three. I was short. I played the shooting guard position and it's seven foot one. Some foot one guy, six foot eleven guy, six foot nine guy, and then me at guard, and then our, our point guard um, was a little bit shorter than me. But like, that's crazy for high the, school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had two brothers, the Dudley brothers. Both went on to play college Division One basketball. One at Boston College, another one. Forget where he went, but yeah, two brothers that were just monsters. <laughs> seven foot one, six foot eleven in high school. It's crazy. Big guy too. The seven foot one guy was probably. 275 or something who's kind of a muscular guy as well it's crazy wild (laughs) in high school in high school yeah yeah so you know i've i but it taught me everything uh being in those types of environments it it taught me well one the positive things about it or just the brotherhood of having a team and uh, the relationships that you build with people being competitive and understanding what it takes to win we've had you lose big games or you even like remember in junior high and stuff when we weren't very good at all, you have losing seasons and you learn how to, what's required to actually become somebody who's winning more often than losing, to be a plus 500 team and what that looks like and how that revolves around the entire team. It doesn't matter how good I was. If we didn't have the other pieces in place, it wouldn't work out. And if I didn't make the people around me better, it wouldn't work out, you know? So you understand the value of a team and you also understand the value of people, how valuable people are when playing their specific role that, you know, you might have somebody on the team, which was me, who is never going to be the superstar on that particular team. But I had a clearly defined role and I was very good at it. And uh, I added value to the team because of that. And some of the superstar guys who were there, they made me better and allowed me to clearly play my role without stepping on my toes, let me do my thing, trusted me with the responsibilities. There's a lot of trust that that's built in the team atmosphere. All amazing things. Uh, build your character. Again, like I mentioned, self-discipline of just getting up and going. I remember when I was eighth grade, I really wanted to take my game to the next level. And there was a guy at the church slash school who was kind of known to develop players in the summertime. And all I wanted to do was like get in with this guy to where he would say that like I would he would spend some time with me in the summer. He only would take like one or two kids a year and he would like really mentor them. And I was selected to be, and I was kind of one of my first instances where I was networking, I guess, right? I had to get this guy's attention enough to pay attention to me to ultimately get the end goal that I wanted was for him to think that I was worthy to spend time. But I was, it was summer going into ninth grade, coming out of eighth, and I literally was in the gym from 8 a.m. till 4.30 p.m. every day, every single day. And then he would, like, pull me out, and we'd, like, do some jobs, some odd jobs around the church grounds here and there. But for the most part, like, I was in the gym. We were doing – totally changed my shot because I used to push the ball for kind of from my chin. He was like, this is not going to work, you know, with the competition you're going up against. You're bringing the ball way too low. You know, if you don't learn to bring it up here, like, you're just – everyone's going to be blocking your shot. Don't care how many times it goes in. You're not ever going to get it off. So changed my entire shot that summer, got really, really improved my ball handling skills. And it was, this was workouts that were just me. I literally was in the gym from 8 a.m. to 4.30 
just me, no one else ever there except this guy who would pop in every now and then and tell me what to do next. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right, right. It was fun. So yeah, that, that summer I learned a lot about, you know, what it takes to really ascend to the next level and the time commitment. A lot of it is really just the habit of... Habit's huge, yeah. Yeah, just the habit of knowing what it takes to get to a certain end goal and putting in the work to be able to do that. And that one lesson, I think, for me personally, allows me to build confidence in other arenas where like I'm heading into this new thing that I've never done before and I have no idea what I'm doing and I have zero connections and I, and I don't know at all what, like how it's going to get accomplished, but I can look back and draw on past experience and say, that was something that I did that not a lot of people were willing to do. And I knew the end goal that I wanted and I put in the work to get there and not a lot of people are willing to do that. So if I can do that, in this industry or this field, whatever it is, whether it was for me, it was podcasting for you, affiliate marketing, all the things that you're doing on a, just a huge level, just a massive scale, all the things that you're doing, like you can draw on that past experience of like, you know what? I know what it takes. All I got to do is find that next person. The guy that's going to come into the gym and coach me is now the guy that's going to help me out with my, my marketing campaign or whatever it is. And then I'm going to put in that work. I'm going to do that. Like we were talking about in our interview before, do those uncommon actions that allow me to get those uncommon results. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, uncommon is huge, right? Who else is going to go from 8 o'clock in the morning to 4.30 for an entire summer? Not At 13. Many. Yeah. Not many, right. right? Yeah. As an 8th grader or ninth grade, exactly, 13 years old. How many people are going to do that? Not many. And just like you've got to the position that you've gotten, and I've gotten the position that I've gotten in different arenas of our life with sports back then, now in business and, and marketing, it was my personal health transformation before that. But I've had all these areas where I've made significant jumps from where I was was to where I wanted to be. And every single time it required doing way above what the average person is willing to do. Yeah. So I interrupted you. You were so coming out of playing basketball, going right. into college. So I hung up my goal? shoes because I knew it wasn't going to be a life career for me. And I did not want, I wanted to go where I felt like I was, God was leading me for my school rather than a division three school that I could have played basketball at. And I could have even went to school for free because of sports. They don't do, um, academically, I was very sound. They graduated second in my class. And uh, I could have went and played and got an academic scholarship and also played basketball because it's how they work around the fact that they don't have athletic scholarships in Division three. They just give high performance academically and they recruit them up to the basketball team as well. So I, I had opportunity to do that, but I decided that I wanted to go where I felt like was going to push me on the trajectory to the 
path that I want to be for the rest of my life, not hanging on to this basketball thing. So I go out to Oral Roberts University, Christian University. I felt that it's where I was being led. And then I hated it. I mean, I, <laughs> I literally, it was the one of the most painful experiences of my life that year. I went, I got home at Christmas break. Again, all my friends were back home, like all my boys from high school who were my closest friends, who were my best men in my wedding. And I had nurse. They were still home in New Jersey. Actually, my best friend who I would, well, we'd go to the YMCA and play basketball every single day. We were with each other from the moment school got out until pretty much we went to bed. He dropped me off, do my homework and we go to, you know, we cook food over each other's houses, all that stuff. Anyway, he went out to uh, play basketball in Oklahoma at another, at another school. And I think that swayed my decision to go out to ORU, to Oral Roberts University. And I also thought it was a good Christian university that I thought I was much like yourself going to go into full-time ministry. And um, as I was committed to going there and paid my tuition and everything, he got an offer to transfer back home, play basketball for Rutgers in New Jersey. So he came back home as I was going out there. We had this plan to like get an apartment together and like, you know, just you know, I get to be with my best friend while I'm out here, create some independence, we'll have our own spot. And then uh, he moves back home and I go out there. <laughs> yeah. I'm by myself. I'm like in an environment where I made a couple friends out there. No one I'm, that I still keep in contact with is just felt way out of place out there for whatever reason why. I just, the um, variety of Christianity that they have out there isn't one that I really jived with. <laughs> so this is really over the top. Just lot, like a, a really legalistic checklist. Very, yeah. yeah, a lot of condemnation. It just wasn't for me, the Bible Belt. So I came home. I told my mom, I do not want to go back. I'm not going back. And I'm not, you know, like I can't go back there. You know, it's Christmas break. I'm here with my friends. I'm thinking about like tomorrow I got to get on this plane to go back there. I'm not going back. So once I was after one semester. Yeah. She told me that uh, you are going back. <laughs> that it's already it's already <laughs> yeah. paid for. Counter argument. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's already paid for, and you are going back. And if you want to make a separate decision after this year to come back home or whatever it is that you're thinking you want to do, then we'll talk about that. But you're finishing out the year. I was not happy with her about that, but went out there, back out there anyway. And literally like a week later into the second semester is when one of my professors turned me on to a book called Body for Life by Bill Phillips, which ultimately changed my life. Bill Phillips was in the late 90s, early 2000s. They owned the biggest supplement company out there. He came from Metrics and then he uh, started his own company called Experimental Applied Sciences, uh, EAS, at a huge uh, magazine called Muscle Media. And then he had this book called Body for Life, which was on the New York Times bestseller list for like three years straight. I got introduced to that book. That's the first time I really wrapped my head around. I was working out all the time, but not getting anywhere. You know, I just had uh, like, I was the college kid who wanted to have muscles and stuff. And I was just working out all the time, not eating nearly enough. And I got clued into like how this all works, how nutrition pairs with the effort that you how you can train smart. And, you know, you can work out actually for 45 minutes a day, five days a week and supplement that with all the right nutrition. And you can actually get results instead of working out two hours a day, seven days a week like I was and eating terribly for <laughs> what my goals were. I knew nothing about nutrition at the time. So I finally got clued in and I started getting some results. And then I decided I want to enter this body transformation contest that they had called the Body for Life Challenge, which was um, the biggest body transformation challenge in the world at the time. It was a 12-week before and after contest. Then you had an essay that you had to write. So they wanted to see like... Uh, your story. And then obviously they used all that for marketing, right? It's for the supplement company. But I ended up winning that contest for my category male, 18 to 25 years old. I gained like 22 pounds of muscle over a 12 week period and made a pretty, very significant transformation. And I became a brand advocate for EAS. And then I submitted an article to the editor there, David Kennedy was the editor in chief. He's written a couple, several books in health and fitness, but submitted an article and said, Hey, I really want to I'm super passionate about this. I made this change myself. I was struggling for a while. I want to help other people not struggle. And I would love to contribute to the magazine. So I wrote an article. He liked it, published it, asked me to become a regular contributor to the magazine. And that was my foot in the door, the fitness industry. Well, I had a relationship with that guy. And this was kind of one of my first experiences realizing how important relationships are. I had a relationship with that guy and he would just publish whatever I gave him. He would edit the crap out of it, but he liked me and he got my stuff published. Then I started publishing. I started putting articles out to other magazines like Men's Fitness and Men's Health. And 
some of the more general fitness, uh, female-friendly magazines that were out there. And all my stuff was getting rejected. I just, over and over again, uh, I was being told no. So instead of being the typical guy who would get rejected and just say, move on and try somewhere else, I always asked for feedback. What could I, uh, if this is not what you're looking for, what, how far am I off the mark? Like, this is what I want to do. I want to help people and contribute by giving back my own personal transformation. And I asked for feedback. And most of them shockingly would say to me, I'm happy to provide that. Literally no one asks for feedback when we say no to an article. It's like, you're one of the very few. So they gave me some pointers. And then what I learned was that, was it that my writing was not good enough? Well, partially, I needed to refine my craft of writing. But I really just had to learn what they wanted and then give them that. And I, being a marketer, that's, that's entirely everything that marketing is. I create a product that I think people need. And if I marketed it in a certain way, no one would buy it. So I have to learn what exactly do you want. And then I have to paint the picture. And we have a saying in marketing that says, sell them what they want and give them what they need. You know what they need. You're more intelligent than they are with actually delivering the result. However, if you try to tell them exactly what that end thing is, then they don't even understand that that's what they need. You have to sell them something else that they want. So we lead with something that they want. We get them in the door and then we give them what they need on the back end. So sell them what they want, give them what they need. This was just another example of that. I had to learn what these editors wanted. I have to revise my format, the types of things that I was talking about, types of topics that I maybe weren't like... What was the end goal for me? The end goal for me was to get published. Knowing that, if I said, oh, I don't want to write about those topics. Well, I'm never going to get published in that magazine <laughs> right. then. You know? yeah, exactly. So I had to adjust and adapt to what they wanted, which was fine because my, the end goal was get, to get published, to get my na name out there and build my platform. So lots of rejections. Then I got an article published and we seen this, we talked about the snowball effect with networking, but here it was like, I got an article published in Men's Fitness. Then I got more published and I got asked to be on the training advisory board of Men's Fitness. Then I got into Men's Health and I got into AskMen.com. Then I got into Testosterone Magazine magazine, tnation.com. Then I got into Women's Day magazine. Then I got into Muscle and Fitness Hers. Then I got into Women's Health and all these women's magazines. Then I was being published everywhere. And hundreds of articles published. Still broke. I was making a couple hundred bucks per article. Maybe one month I'd have, even if it was a good month, where I had three or four articles published. Like it's a, like a whopping 600 to $800, which is not, I'm not living off that. It's a freelance writer. Getting my name out there, making a little bit of money. This was towards the end of my college uh, education and into the beginning. So when I finished school, I got, I went and uh, I wasn't making enough money from the fitness stuff. I was still trying to figure out how to make this full-time career. So I went in, into teaching. I also got a teaching degree. I double majored in health and exercise science and then health and physical education teaching. So I was a teacher for three years. And as I was teaching, I was trying to get all this other stuff off the ground. I wrote a book called The Cheat to Lose Diet. I thought it was a super marketable concept. It teaches people how to use their favorite foods periodically, interject cheat meals and cheat days into a weight loss program to outsmart your body, avoid weight loss plateaus, all this stuff. Super marketable concept. Yeah, like eat what you want, lose weight type Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with the science around it, so it was of believable. Course, yeah. So it was like, uh, you can't do this every day, obviously, <laughs> but here's, here's the scientific reason why this can actually help you instead of you feeling super guilty and like right, a piece right. of crap that you like ate a slice of pizza on week seven of your diet. So we teach people, psychologically it was great. People had a, an outlet and physiologically there was actually reasons how it speeds up metabolism, increases fat burning hormones, all this stuff. So super marketable concept. I... Uh, had a book proposal written, had the first four or five chapters written, and then I got back into the this whole rejection circle again. Submit to an agent. They take three or four weeks to get back to me because I knew I had an agent. They were the next gatekeeper. I knew I had an agent. I knew I needed to get an agent in order to get in front of publishers. So submit to an agent. They're busy. <laughs> three, four weeks go by, constant follow-ups, and then they finally get back to me and said, it's good, but... And they had some reason, the conflict of interest with another client. Uh, it just wasn't it's good, but it's not the right fit for, for them to represent it. And then I was getting ready. It was getting super frustrated because it was maybe four months of, of that. And uh, I'm like, I just want to get this in front of publishers already. So I was told by another editor who I was writing magazines for that it was kind of like not good practice to mass submit to a bunch of agents because if a couple of them get back to you, then you have to tell one or two of them no after you already put it in front of them. The SOP, standard operating procedure for that would be to submit, wait to hear back, 
And then once you get an answer one way, but I'm like, this is taking a month to get an answer. You know, I can't invest this amount of time. So I had one last ditch effort. I contacted the editor of Men's Health. I said, do you know, I'm, I said, I'm getting ready to mass submit. I know that's like not kosher, but I don't care at this point. You know, if one person represents me and a few people don't like me, so be it. At least I'm represented. And he said, well, there is one guy that I would contact first if you can. I don't know him personally. It's just a name. He just gave me a name. He gave me no other <laughs> Anyway, he's, uh, I don't know him personally. I have no Google contact it. information. Yeah. I don't know anybody who knows him, but he's represented XYZ large books. He might be somebody who I think maybe they'd be interested in a concept like this. It seems like they might be. And they had represented Barry Sears with The Zone, which was huge. He represented LL Cool J with a fitness book that he had. Like, they big time authors, right? So I submit to this guy and I actually I do some detective work. I end up finding an email address on like, some article he wrote like nine years ago or something like that. It had some AOL address on there. And magically, I guess he had that forward to his main email, his old email address. Uh, it was floating around on the internet. Submitted to him. He calls me the next day, says he wants to represent the book. Two days, we signed the paperwork. Two days later, I'm going up to New York to meet with a publisher he has a very good relationship with. And I'm on the train on the way home from New York. They call me and say they want to buy the book for $100,000. So... They said, we can, meanwhile, I'm taking time off from work to go to New York. You know, I'm like calling in sick as a teacher to go to New York to have these meetings. And I didn't really, I jived with the team that was there. Heather Jackson was the name of the editor who was showed interest in the book, who's a, a dear friend of mine to this day. And we still work together. <laughs> Funny how all things come back around. Yeah, full circle, yeah. I just actually had another podcast guest here who I referred to her this, this just this past week. So it didn't work out with that book. It flopped. We They bought the book. I didn't want to go back and have a bunch of meetings with other publishers. I felt comfortable with them. I liked her. They bought the book. A year and a half later, finally gets published. Traditional publishing is the slowest thing in the entire world, you know. A <laughs> uh, year and a half later, finally gets published, and the book bombs. I, they paid me $100,000, $100, which on a royalty, I was going to make like a $3 royalty per book um, based on the cover price, and I needed to sell 33,000 copies just for them to kind of get to where break even. I think the book sold maybe 4,000 copies <laughs> total. So it bombed. But that's what they do. It's legalized gambling in that uh, <laughs> in that industry. Right, right. They, um, especially when it's not an established author, they know the likelihood one in 20 of them are going to actually do anything and the other ones are just uh, take a gamble. This episode of Build Your Network is brought to you by ClearBank. ClearBank is changing the way entrepreneurs raise money with equity-free capital. Co-founder Michelle Romanow, star of Canada's Dragon's Den, which is the Canadian version of Shark Tank, co-founded ClearBank with her partner, Andrew D'Souza, after seeing how many companies were willing to part with precious equity in exchange for a bigger marketing budget. ClearBank believes that founders shouldn't give up a piece of their company to fund marketing and inventory expenses. So they make equity-free investments from $10,000 all the way up to $10 million and can get you a term sheet in less than 20 minutes. They charge a small flat fee for the capital and you pay them back using a win-win rev share. This is not a loan. There's no interest rate, no fixed maturation date, no personal guarantees, no credit checks, and no financial covenants. ClearBank has relationships with marketing agencies, e-commerce professionals, venture capitalists, accountants, and more, giving you a truly unfair advantage in the market. With over $150 million invested in 2018 in companies like Public Goods and Lisa Sleep, they are on track to invest over $1 billion this year. So if you're doing over $10,000 a month in revenue, find out how you can receive ClearBank Capital by getting your 20-minute term sheet at clearbank.com slash Travis. That's clearbank, B-A-N-C dot com slash Travis. ClearBank. Stop pitching and get back to doing what you love, growing your business. This episode of the show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks and stacks of resumes, a confusing review process, but today hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash B-Y-N. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands and thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. In fact, it's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash B-Y-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-Y-N. 
ZipRecruiter.com slash B-Y-N. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. What's up, everyone? Just wanted to take a quick second and give a shout out to my favorite podcasting app, Himalaya. If you're not listening to podcasts on this new app, you're definitely missing out. It's like a social media app, but for podcast listeners. Follow your go-to shows, like and comment on your favorite episodes, and download professionally curated playlists made just for you. So head on over to your app store or Google Play store and download Himalaya today and thank me later. So really quickly, there's a recurring theme already in the conversation. And I know this is also what happened when you were selling gym memberships. You get into something and then you fail a lot. But the thing is, you don't quit. You don't take it as a, well, this obviously isn't something that I should be doing. You just go, I just don't know the pieces that I need yet. And let me figure that out. Yeah, I sucked at sales and marketing. I was the worst revenue-producing personal trainer in Gold's Gym where I interned. I was the worst. They probably couldn't wait for my internship to be over. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I, it's terrible. This is in college? Yeah, yeah. Like If I went into any gym now, like literally, if I went to any gym now, I would run circles around everyone there. I don't care if they've been there 20 years or whatever. Like, I understand sales, marketing. I'm selling people into $100,000 masterminds now because the value is there, obviously, and I'm not putting junk out there that I don't believe in. But I understand sales to a level that no one's good at things and the first time they try it. That was the first time I was in a, an environment where I was trying to sell something. It was the first time that I was writing an article trying to get it published in a magazine. I didn't know what a magazine-ready article looked like. I just jotted some thoughts down that I thought had made sense to me that people on the other side would learn something from. But there's all format that they wanted. In. You know, it's just you don't know what you don't know until you learn it. And how long from the time that you first submitted your first article, got your first rejection until the time that your book got accepted and you got that payday? What was yeah. the period of time between a couple two? of years? Yeah, yeah. So a couple of years of constantly writing, 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 like literally yeah. you know, probably, hundreds of articles. You know, to be honest, uh, now that I think about it. First article was published when I was. 20 years old uh, the book deal came up was 24 so it was four years later when where i was making any significant amount of money the, all the freelance stuff was just we'll throw you a bone yeah. you know for uh getting your name out there a couple hundred bucks but yeah that was four years removed from kind of me starting as a writer and then it was over at that point i was never going to get another book deal again unless something changed and shifted and that's where i was at i said okay this did not work out uh my agent they're good people. They still liked me, but like they weren't going to invest any more time in like another book project from me, right? It just, it just didn't work out. So I had to accept personal responsibility on the loss. I took the L and I said, why did this fail? Could have easily, very easily, could have said, hey, publisher didn't do crap for me. <laughs> they didn't do anything for me to sell books. They didn't get me on any significant media outlets. They got me on a bunch of local radio shows. Like no wonder why it didn't sell. And no, no real national media. It took one ad out in the New York Times that how many people are even going to see that? They didn't do much. And, and they didn't. But like, I, it's not the card I chose to play, right? And I chose to play the card that, oh, if, if I got on Dr. Oz, my life would be so much different. And there's so many people who do that, right? It's like, if I didn't have that injury, I'd be in the NFL. Yep, they play whatever, the right? Yeah, yeah right. It's, yep. it's if this happens or what if this didn't happen, whatever, right? I just, when you do that, you're giving up control. It's just all these outside circumstances are going to affect how my life is going to go. And I'm just kind of here for the ride. We'll see what happens. You're no longer in control. And if that's the case, then why try to do anything? Because in that type of mentality, it's like the final outcome's already there. And, and you're just going to, you're here to see what's going to happen. You have no, you're not going to change it one way or the other. You can always find something or someone to blame your circumstances on. Yeah, you can. And you can always find the reason why or the solution to what happened, which was I didn't sell enough books. So independent of anything else that didn't happen, had I understood how to sell books directly, had I had a big email list or a pla some platform to launch it to, I would have been able to sell all the books that I needed without anyone else's help. So I said, let me learn how to do that because I knew couple of guys who were running magazines with me who were friends of mine who were selling ebooks and DVDs and stuff like that on the side. They all had like their own gyms and they were did like high-end training, personal training and, and athletes and stuff like that. But they also were monetizing information products where they're selling DVDs on the side. And they're like, yeah, it just makes me a few grand a month. And, you know, it's uh, 
vacation money or pays my mortgage, however I want to look at it. It's just some extra. And these are all successful guys making six figures from their private studios and stuff. But I didn't want to get into that. I remember my experience at Gold's Gym and I was just like, eh, I don't, I don't want to be doing that. I want to, if they can make a few grand a month, if I spent, did that full time, like I, I'm sure I could make it my goal. My goal initially was to make 20 grand a month and shared that on some other podcasts and with other people. That was my initial goal was 20 grand a month. It's all I ever wanted to make <laughs> 20 grand a month. I'm set. It's $240,000 a year. My mom and my dad's combined income weren't even a hundred thousand dollars. Like if I was making 240 grand a year, I was life changing for me. So I figured, well, if these guys are making a few grand and I put all my heart and soul into it, I should be able to get into 10 to 20 grand a month and make this a full-time career. Sure beats the 40 grand that I'm making teaching. So I became obsessed with direct response marketing, learned from all the greats, Yannick Silver with copywriting and Frank Kern, some friend of mine now, and Jeff Walker with Product Launch Formula, who really was the catalyst, his teaching for the beginning of my career and being known as the launch guy in the health and fitness industry. So I took the same book that flopped. I already knew the problem wasn't the concept. I already said, uh, I'm aware that Americans don't like to diet and they would love to lose weight and still eat their favorite foods. So the reason why this didn't work is because just didn't get in front of enough people. Right. You know, there's no vehicle. Right. Or the actual marketing was not conveyed in a certain way. Right. But I knew the concept was sellable. So I took the same exact book, repackaged it into a course called Treat Your Way Thin, had PDF manuals, had some audio that it was just me talking into a little computer, teaching some things. And then uh, there was a couple of interviews with people who had done the diet, who, uh, you know, we interviewed as case studies. And then we had some video, which was screen share. So they, the publisher owned all of the print rights to it. So the stuff that I put in print, I repackaged as manuals and I just rewrote it. Same information though, same information, just rewritten. So it didn't infringe on copyright. And then some of the chapters, I just read them. That became the audio portion. I, I own the audio rights. I never gave that up in the book deal. So I read them. And then other parts, I just did a screen share, uh, like PowerPoint presentation where I taught. So I took all the same content of the books and converted it into a multimedia course that we sold for $97. And we ended up doing the, with the same book that sucked in the bookstores on the bookshelves. We ended up doing... $370,000 or $460,000, something like that. It was in the three to $400,000 range launch on a platform called ClickBank, which is the largest digital marketplace in the world. It's where a lot of the people selling information sell. It's also an affiliate network. So you have other people who will promote your product if it's doing well. And um, that became back up. You know, I've I became obsessed with marketing. I learned all the ins and outs of it, but I knew that if I was going to successfully launch this thing without an email list. I don't have any email list to go out to. I'm going to have to rely on other people's platforms at first until I can grow my own. So two things. First sales letter that I wrote was for an online personal training thing uh, that I did with the people got a customized supplement, nutrition, and uh, exercise program every month for me. And I had template based, but it was individualized enough and didn't take tons of my time that it was semi-scalable, right? So I had 2,000 people who have found their way to me over the years on my website. I had a website, joelmarion.net, it's not even live anymore, that had a little free newsletter sign up. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> no lead magnet, <laughs> just free newsletter. You know, everything about it was terrible. And But some people who really love my articles signed up for it. Never sent a newsletter. I had no news. A newsletter, no news. So I never sent a newsletter. But I had 2,000 people's email address. And I understood through going through these courses that how valuable that email list was. And even though it was still relatively small, I'm like, well, these are people who found me. They signed up for a free newsletter. They <laughs> no lead magnet, nothing. They must like me a lot. So I launched to 2,000 people a $200 a month or $250 a month coaching program. And I got just under 50 people to sign up for that. It was a four email sequence, copywriting four email launch sequence that I learned from Yannick Silver and Joe Vitale and at 50, almost 50 people signed up for that. And I was making 10 grand a month all of a sudden. That was when it became real to me. This could actually, this is an actual thing I could sell on the internet and make way more money than I'm making doing this teaching thing as a full-time gig. So then I said, all right, well, if I want to do an ebook, I said 2000 person list selling a 
selling a 47 or 97 dollar package on ebooks that wasn't i knew i wasn't going to be able to move a lot even if i moved a couple hundred it was going to be life-changing for me so i said i have to build my network why didn't i do it because i, I wasn't able to move enough books on my own well who, who's going to help me do it well and that is back in the print book days it would have been like me creating relationships with people who control the media but in this one i knew media wasn't going to do anything for an ebook i needed to create relationships with other health and fitness ebook retailers because I knew I knew that they all kind of cross promoted one another and I understood this term JV joint venture as I was diving into online marketing and Jeff Walker talks about product launch form and you have all these affiliates that promote a launch at the same time when something new and people Jeff Walker is doing million dollar launches in uh, the biz op space right teaching people marketing in the marketing space and I'm like if I can get all the people in health and fitness no one's really doing this we, I could have a really big launch and apply everything I learned from Jeff, but I knew I needed the affiliate partners, right? So that's when, you know, we'll get into how I actually did this and pulled this off. But the next eight months, I just became best friends with all the people in health and fitness publishing. I did my homework and made sure I had a, an offer that was going to convert really well. We did that launch and we ended up doing the, large, the largest launch in ClickBank history at the time for health and fitness. We went on to beat that record like seven or eight times. I was the first guy to do a million-dollar launch in the health and fitness space. It was unheard of. No one was doing that unless they were selling teaching people how to make money. And the next year, 2010, I released a program called Extreme Fat Loss Diet that did the first million-dollar launch. We relaunched that every single year, every year in April or May, just prior to the summer. We re-released that same program, just gave a marketing a facelift, and we did over a million dollars for four years in a row on that. I partnered with another guy. Josh Bazzoni is my partner in the supplement industry on another book called Seven Day Belly Blast Diet. We did a, a $1.2 million launch on that in six days and became really good friends, cross-promoted each other for about a year and a half. And then he approached me with this idea of starting a supplement company. I was already selling a ton of supplements to my readers on the back end because everyone who does diet program wants to know. They always, I kept getting asked what supplements do I take, what supplements do I take. So we partnered with another company called ProGrade Nutrition, who we were promoting, but I they own the company. You know, we're sending hundreds of thousands of dollars of business to them, but it's their company. So I'm like, man, this is this would be awesome to actually own the company. And, you know, I know this equity value here and the potential like can actually the ebook business, you can't sell that type of business, right? It's it's a personal, very personal business. Without me, the ebook company doesn't exist, right? But supplement company, that's something that you could have an exit from. So that became really intriguing and appealing for me. And then that's when we started Biotrust. And Biotrust did one of the fastest growing companies of all time, started a startup of eight people and went to 100 million in their first full calendar year. So reason why that happened was the network as well. We had a built-in army of people to promote the brand. When you say army, what kind of numbers are you talking about? I would say 100 100 affiliates probably that were, would do any kind of significant sales volume. I remember my first launch i had 131 affiliates who did at least one sale i would say 100 people who probably those 100 made up for 90 percent of the affiliate revenue and then there's a bunch of stragglers who just do a sale here and there but people i have relationships with who have email lists who have their own health publishing companies around 100 so networking my way into 100 people's lives over the years doing ebooks and then i had the whole email marketing world and health and fitness behind the supplement launch and we, our goal was to do 10 million our first year, was to do 10 million because my partner and I were both running between 10 and $12 million ebook companies that we built up over the course of a few years. So we're like, if we can jump in this year one and do 10 million, that'd be a home run for us. We did 80 million our first 12 months, our first full calendar year, because we launched in late 2012. In 2013, we did over 100 million. And I think our second month, we did something like, four million our second month our first our first month we had no affiliates promote we we're just testing the concept internally we did like 800 grand so i was like this is a good sign no affiliates are already almost at a million and then we launched with affiliates and we did like four million is that when you realized it was going to be big before you had the affiliates when you were like oh yeah oh, wow, i'm like yeah is... we're, we're going to we're on pace to hit our 10 million goal we don't have anyone else promoting this this is just us internally so that's when i realized like yeah it's gonna, probably going to be bigger than we expected how much bigger i didn't know and then i learned the first month when we did four million where we really launched the company with our partners and did four million with one product funnel 
<laughs> and I'm like, all right, let's rinse and repeat. Let's create more product funnels. You know, we had four products. We created a video sales letter, one video sales letter for a product we had called Leptoburn, which leptin is a huge hormone that was integrated in all of my programs for using cheat days to increase your leptin levels. It's a hormone that kind of speaks to your brain and lets you know that you're not starving or if it decreases too much, it's a red flag to your brain that like you're not, your body goes into this quote unquote starvation mode and weight loss plateaus and stuff like that. That's why people diet really hard and then step on the scale and they didn't lose anything. Your body is self-regulating your metabolism down to a level where now you're only taking in 1500 calories, but you're only burning 1500 calories when normal Normally, you'd be burning 12, 2,500 calories and you have a $1,000 calorie deficit. So it left the burn, tied in right in with my other marketing for my ebook stuff. And uh, it was a, I, with the volume of customers that I got from everyone else, Leptin was something that I knew would resonate. So that was the first product we created a full sales funnel on. And yeah, we, that, that did 4 million the first month. And it was just like rinse and repeat. We just did over and over again. Uh, in the first year, we had like six different funnels and we were doing over 10 million a month. It was crazy. Wow. So 100 million by age 30. Now just Biotrust has done 600 million. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Just Biotrust. Yeah, I have side businesses that do, like I was sharing with you earlier, you know, between 20 and 40 million a year, side businesses. Yeah, just the, just the side hustles yeah. <laughs> coming yeah, in, yeah. another 20 to, to 40 million. And you're 36? At- 37. No. 37, yep. okay. Yep. So 37 years old, you have multiple nine figures a year now coming in. Would it be safe to say that the majority of the income that you've made has been due to your email list and affiliates? Yes. The reason why everything I do is so scalable is because I get the whole industry playing on my team. If it was just me, challenging to do it myself. I could, you know, I'm a big affiliate for other people, but like, there's no one affiliate who's playing at the level I'm playing right now. There are other, but collectively getting the whole industry together, that's that's just like a huge extra. That trumped anything that I could do myself many times over. So that's my acquisition. My main source of acquisition is all the relationships I have with the health publishers. They promote as affiliates. And then the back end is the email marketing piece, which is kind of the thing that I mastered on the back end to get a customer and then actually have repeat orders from people and uh, lifetime value. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about how we've been able to get some of the guests to come on the show, I've created a totally free resource called Meet Your Hero. So if you'd like to connect with people you respect and admire that are difficult to reach, you're going to want to go to travischapel.com slash hero to take action and start that training today. Have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.